Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon and welcome to Collaborative Connections Radio Show and Podcast, sponsored by KLM. We're live in the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Arizona, and I have three amazing guests that I'd love to introduce you to. First, Thomas Barr, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about you and the organization you're with. Well, I'm Thomas. I'm the Vice President of Business Development at Local First Arizona, and we are a statewide nonprofit that supports and celebrates locally owned businesses. We believe Arizona's economy is run by entrepreneurs, and we believe in building more resilient, sustainable, and inclusive economy through entrepreneurship. Right up my alley. <laughs> That's why I'm a huge advocate. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Carla, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so I'm Carla Reeves. I uh, run Carla Reeves Coaching. I've been coaching for over a decade. I'm a mindset coach for high achievers and specifically hyper achievers, really helping people to get out of their head, get out of survival so that they can really reset their life and ultimately architect their life intentionally. It's really cool. And I've seen your work firsthand. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, Kelly. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, my name is Michelle Zipser, and I have a private practice that focuses on counseling, education, support, collaboration, consulting with care partners and caregivers of people living with dementia. Huge, huge necessity here in Phoenix. Well, everywhere. But uh, you're doing amazing work. Thank you. We appreciate all you do. I'm Kelly Lorenzen. I own KLM. We have helped lots and lots of local businesses with their consulting, marketing, and project management, growing, growing, growing their businesses to support the small businesses and local businesses so that our community grows and thrives. And it's a huge, huge passion of mine. I've been an entrepreneur 20 years and I'm just so so thankful to get to to work with local people, work with um, business owners to to uh, keep raising the bar, keep raising raising it up. So I appreciate all of you guys being here. World, you're going to jump right in. Tell us, Thomas, a little bit more about Local First and your effort. I again am a huge um, advocate for you guys. But I like other people hearing the stuff, especially the stuff you guys did through COVID and obviously post-COVID for local and small businesses. So sure. Give, yeah. Dive, dive in a little bit about that. How much that. time we have? No, <laughs> That's right. Um, well, Local First Arizona has been around for 20 years. Um, this is our 20th anniversary. We started in 2003. Our founder launched Local First for the reason that she wanted to elevate not only in the importance of supporting local businesses and how much more money stays in the economy— But at that time in Arizona, we saw a lot of young people leaving. And somebody that grew up here, I saw that growing up as well. You did not stay in Arizona after high school or college. It was actually something that was not positively looked on, right? There wasn't the hometown pride that we have now. Mm -hmm. And so our founder launched the organization to build more hometown pride amongst the residents that live here and the people that were moving here to connect with more businesses that are here, but also for the economic reasons that we know the more we have small businesses and locally owned businesses thriving, the stronger our economy is going to be. So today we've evolved into being the largest local business coalition in the country, but not only that, 
developing a wide variety of programs and resources that help diverse entrepreneurs and communities throughout the state access the resources and the opportunities they need to be successful. So we've grown. When I joined the team, it was 10 years ago, and I think we had six people then. We just hired our 55th. We've got four statewide offices um, focused on rural and urban economic development and just really filling the gaps that we know exist in the economy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a big deal. It's really huge, and mm-hmm. which, which is why I love it so much. Tell us, tell my favorite story, and I tell people, it's such an easy conversion. As soon as I tell this story, they're like, okay, sign me up. Okay. Make, me, make me a member. When COVID shut everything down, local businesses is who you serve, and they were having huge, you know, there was a huge, huge impact. Restaurants, farms, people in general. So tell us, tell us how you guys combined all those to help everybody. Sure. So I'll start by two weeks before COVID or before the shutdown in Arizona, at least we were keeping an eye on things. I don't know if everybody remembers. I think we all forget that even a week before the shutdown, a lot of people were just like, yeah, that's never going to happen here. (laughs) Like, you know, we were all just like going about it and like seeing what was happening in other places, but not really taking it super seriously. I don't think we really knew what was going on. But two weeks before Arizona shut down, we said, we were looking at Seattle, <clears throat> which was just skyrocketing with numbers. And we said, if we if that happens here, everyone's really going to need us. Businesses are going to be calling us. We're going to need to really shift our attention. So we actually moved all of our staff to work from home early before everybody had to, because we were like, we need to get ready. <laughs> so we were like, grab whatever you need, you know, get prepped, get your desks ready, your cha- like take a chair from the office, whatever you need, because we're going to stop planning events and everyone's going to become pretty much small business consultants for the most part. And so that's what happened. As we all remember, we shut down and then everybody's phone was off the hook. Uh, 25 to 35 calls a day, every single person in the organization. What do I do? Where do I go? Like, what help can I get? What's going to happen? <clears throat> and so what we did is we had as many businesses as possible write letters that we sent to the governor governor's office saying, you need to ask for emergency disaster loan assistance for Arizona right now. The process is very bureaucratic where the governor has to officially request it and then the SBA has to get into action to release it, much like when hurricane or tornado comes through an area. But we don't have that here. And so it was a very foreign thing. And so... We activated that, and then we launched what we called the Small Business Relief Fund, where we called on corporations in Arizona and individual donors to put money into a fund that would then we could deploy to small businesses. We raised about $10 million, and then by the end of it, ended up deploying about $52 million in small business grants, just money straight into the hands of businesses so that they could put food on the table and get through the toughest times that were there. And it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And then it was, and we went from triage, like, what do we do? Like, where do people go to recovery? Like, how do we reopen? Like, it was just ongoing resources and needs and predicting what's going to happen in five hours to what's going to happen in five months. Mm -hmm. And so it was really just keeping on the pulse of all the changes and all the developments and making sure everybody that was coming to us knew where to go to get help. 
So cool, right? Cool. The yeah. amount of money that one organization can can raise and do for the economy and the farms, you know, getting the, the combining like, okay, we're going to take them the food from the farms and give them to the restaurants. Then we're going to get the restaurants are going to make food for the people that can't afford to eat. And but we're going to raise money so that <coughs> none of them have to pay for it. But they're all getting paid. I mean, just such yeah. a cool thing. Really cool thing. So speaking of COVID, I'm sure, Carla, you are seeing the the repercussions of it with your clients, with mindset, good and bad, I'm sure. You know, some people did really well through it to have that if they had done the work prior, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people didn't. Tell us a little bit about, about that. Yes. So before I do, though, I yes. just want to say I don't I was a beneficiary of a grant during COVID, and I don't know if it came from what your efforts, but that was a game changer for me, and I'm very grateful. So Yeah. Well, wherever you. you got the money, I'm glad you got mm -hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> during that time, it was interesting because I think people, like, people just really shifted to kind of to, you know, even though I'm helping people out of survival, I think during that time we were all kind of, like, put into, like, a survival mode. And so it was more maintaining your mindset than doing forward thinking work because we didn't we couldn't even really think forward and we we weren't making plans because it, there was so much unknown so it was really supporting people in what they were dealing with in that moment and kind of you know how to get through the day or the week so it was very very different and i think now while there's still some aftermath for certain people i do think that people are planning again and thinking farther down the road and we're Work is looking more like it used to. So that's been great to see. I bet. I bet. An upward shift in mood and, and mindset. 100%. And getting through the other side, you're like, oh my gosh, if we can do that, we can do anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> At least as long as we have the tools to do it. Yes. Yeah, that makes a big difference. What about you, Michelle? What did you see through through COVID with, with especially caregivers. you So tell us a little bit more about how you help, uh, you know, people, families with dementia, but the caregiving has got to be. Yeah. So during COVID, I actually was working at Hospice the Valley as a social worker on the dementia team. And so during that time, we would, I mean, initially we were doing telehealth. We were going in doing some telehealth, but what we saw was just horrific absolutely horrific when it came to people living with dementia in facilities, being isolated because they can't see their family because of the risk of getting everybody, you know, trans transmitting COVID to everybody else in that, um, in the facility, putting their lives at risk. It was just a very, very difficult dance. And it, we just didn't know how to do it. And we, you know, we just did the best we could. Caregivers, I mean, people living in their homes with the person living with dementia, very isolated, obviously. Um, we would go and do visits. We'd obviously take precautions when we would go in. It was almost like we were people's life rafts, you know, during that time to be able to just see, you know, somebody once a month to come into this, to come into their home and listen to them and hear them and their stories and their struggles. And it was very difficult, a very difficult time to to be a part of working in the medical community, you know, right there. But I'm glad I was, I'm glad I was able to do it and survive it. And yeah, and so that that work, right, propelled me to realize the caregiving and the care, you know, the care partners and how that one visit a month was a lifeline for them, you know, even outside of COVID, because the fears, you know, still for people, you know, living with dementia. 
so that's what propelled me to be, to want to focus on providing counseling specifically with my background and also earn my hours to get my license, my LCSW. Um, it's, you know, I really believe in it. I see, I see the difference. I actually had a, I have a gentleman who had to be hospitalized recently and I spoke with him and he said, so he had to put his sessions on hold. And he said, I just want to let you know that my daughter-in-law, who's an RN, who, you know, and she's, you know, there's been some, you know, critique of maybe the interactions between um, me and my loved one. And, but, Lately, you know, I've been getting a lot of positive feedback, and I, I attribute that to, you know, our work together, and so I want to thank you. So, you know, that, that was just like, you know, one thing that went right to my heart. We need more of me, basically, right? Lots more. <laughs> right. Lots more. <laughs> we need a lot more, especially for the caregivers. Like, we always think it's the people that are suffering the most is the person with dementia, but it's just as bad or probably worse. Worse. That for the people who are caring for them, it's a it's a big that's a big ask to do for somebody. The rates of depression amongst people, um, care partners and caregivers of people living with dementia, is you know double than that of people with um, you know chronic illness. Basically, caring for people with chronic illness, and the toll it's going to take on our economy, and it is taking on our economy, is something we all need to pay attention to. Going back to your how you started and what got things going for you is you know, our local economy, but this is on a bigger scale. It's, you know, I think the numbers, they are in the billions of how, you know, the cost of what it would cost for family uh, caregivers um, if they were getting paid right now in the United States caring for somebody living with dementia. I think it's 63 billion. Oh, that is yep. really scary, those numbers. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, and I'm going to post actually on my LinkedIn page, I'm going to post some stats and figures if people want to look into that because I think it's really important for people to pay attention because we all need to plan for ourselves in the future. Caregiving and, right, and the dementia research and yep. Alzheimer's research yep. and, and all of it. For people who don't know, you want to give a definition of Dementia? Well, dementia is, you know, there's over 100 different kinds of dementia. And basically, it's many diseases. It's, you know, that affects the brain, that takes away people's memories, their words, their ability to complete tasks, their ability to recognize family members. The most common is Alzheimer's disease. It's progressive. And currently, there is no cure. There's, you know, lifestyle things that we're studying to to help minimize because vascular dementia you know, is um, a very common type of dementia having to do, I mean, think about the rate of heart attacks and strokes in this country. And if your veins aren't working well and getting the blood to your 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 brain, then, um, you know, that's, you know, that's going to impact you. And it's many, it's actually dementia, it's many different diseases that um, result in having dementia. Yeah. And Go ahead, sir. You were going to say something. I was just going to say, I'm so grateful for the work you do because um, my mom passed in 2020. Um, she had dementia for a number of years. And um, I can't even imagine how helpful it would have been to know that somebody like you at that time um, to talk through what was happening. Yep. But we had such good services around us, too. Good. And I'm so incredibly grateful because that was a very long, very hard journey. And she was in a home during COVID where she was isolated and we couldn't see her. I mean, you could see her on the other side of the fence mm -hmm. and like wave to her. And we thankfully got her out 
shortly after or shortly before she passed um, and got her to my sister's home where we could all just surround her and be with her before. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because oh I know goodness. many people didn't get that. Didn't get that. Yeah, that's a big deal. I'm going to switch gears a little bit about the economic um, impact that all of us, right? The the more studies we do on dementia, that'll help. You know, the more we fund stuff in Arizona, that will help. Tell us about the, the impact that if you use local businesses, you know, and the money and the banks and all of that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of studies that we use to support <clears throat> the importance of locally owned companies in Arizona and entrepreneurship. Um, one of the main ones that we've always fallen back on is we know that <clears throat> for every $100 put into a local business here, $45 stays in Arizona. If you stay, if you spend the same $100 at a national chain, only $13 stays here. So, that's important from the perspective of what happens to those dollars after they're spent, right? A lot of the times we think we go into a business, we spend our money, the business keeps that money and it stays there. But as you know, we're all operating businesses and you have expenses. So Kelly, you're a great example of a business that another business will hire, right? So when we go into that local coffee shop, they are probably hiring a marketing person. They're hiring a payroll service provider, they're hiring an accountant, uh, a printing company for their menus, a web developer for their website. I mean, you all know as running your own businesses, you've got a lot of the people, other people with skills that you need to hire. And so that is, you know, the secondary job that's supported. But then we can think even further from that, when the money is spent there, how many more tax dollars stay in our community and where those tax dollars go, right? Those tax dollars fund government programs to help support what is needed in our community, our, our roads, our fire departments, our parks, our libraries, like all these important components of our infrastructure. And the less we spend with the businesses that are here and the more we maybe stay home and spend with the big guys that are not here and extracting all of that wealth, that's why we have such a major wealth gap continuing to grow, not only in our country, but in Arizona. Arizona is actually the, we are the second in the country, in the wealth gap. So between the richest and the poorest, we are number oh two in the country. Gosh. So it's incredibly important for, especially the work that you're doing and, and, and everything that we're doing. We can't have a strong economy if we're not mentally well, right? If we don't have the resources for everybody in the community that needs the resources. And so it's, it's all interconnected, right? All of this is connected together in one way or another. And so the more we can create an economy where entrepreneurs are doing business together and lifting each other up, the more we're going to be able to drive attention to the fact that that model right there is going to support all of the work that we're doing, right? That's exactly why right. I started the show. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that commercial. I was not paid to be here. <laughs> it is. It's really critical that we use each other and and you know build each other up and and it helps the community every time I see that in and be diligent about it right about who you're using who you're choosing to use even referral gifts is a, a tiny little example you can easily send a Starbucks gift card as a referral as a thank you 
or you go on Etsy, or you go on Shop Local Arizona has their own. I just found out. Mm. How did I not know about this? <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> um, and buy something that another local person made and send it to the your referral partners. Send it to somebody t- as a thank you. It's mm-hmm. a it's a big. Love that. Yep. It is a tiny. It yeah. seems like a tiny little thing. You just help that business, yeah. right? And you helped you guys and, and right. everybody. I mean, then everybody wins. Yeah. It's that conscious capitalism, uh, you know, motto of win, 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 right? And mm-hmm. thinking about all your stakeholders and mm-hmm. everybody winning, it just makes for a better, I think, for a better economy. Cool. But you can prove it with the numbers, which is really cool. Yeah. I just think it. <laughs> Speaking of numbers, can I clarify really quick? Yes. So before I said $18 billion, it's actually 18 billion hours of care at $339.5 billion that it's cost because people, you know, um, a lot of times people have to quit their job and mm. um, retire early. Yeah. And so, again, going back to, you know, our economy and, yeah. That's a lot it's a very, of money. It's, it's That's a, lot of, a money. lot of money. I know. I keep talking about that with our financial planner. How much money am I going to have? <laughs> I need a line item. Good, Care- good job, Kelly. I need good a caregiving job. line <laughs> item. Put yes. that in there. I'm not going to live in yes. some home. <laughs> That's right. So where is that right. line item in there? Well, okay. Well, <laughs> You better start saving because, I mean, I believe caregiving at this point through an agency is probably, for companion level, I think maybe $30 or more um, an hour. $26 yeah. to $30 yeah. an hour. I just have a client who yes, happens do. to own yep. a home care I, yes, agency. It's the only reason I know. I know who she is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's expensive. I know it's, and the more we can do now, the more we can. Uh, you know, you talked about lifestyle things, Carla. I know there's the the mind is a huge player in all of this. Yeah, if there's things, can you give us a few tips, maybe, to keep our mind right, mm-hmm. right to to get us out of that constant worry mode? It mindset's a a huge, huge. I think, proponent of um, diseases and, and uh, you know, people going down faster, depression, all of it. All of it. Yeah. I, you know, I saw somebody like uh, write dis- disease, dis-ease, right? And so when we have just uneasiness, dis-ease inside of ourselves, right, that cr- can create a lot of different health and physical ailments um, too. And so it, it is really important. And just because we're human, we we all share this, right? Like it doesn't matter who you are or where you are or what level you are or what you're doing. We all have an inner life that we're dealing with. And a lot of, you know, the people that I work with, life can look really good outside and on paper, but often those people are really, there's so much inner angst. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I help people a lot is we're so, we live in a world where we're so focused out externally, and we're not really taught to cultivate an inner life that is peaceful and calm and content, right? Because that we take that wherever we go. And so helping people kind of calm their mind, I use writing as a huge tool, as you know, to help people just kind of empty their mind. You know, today on a call, I just had a client actually start with a little bit of writing. And I'm like, did anything surprise you about that? And she's like, just the, you know, a couple minutes to empty what was on her head and kind of organize her thoughts. Like it just, everything made more sense. And it became clear what she wanted to focus on for our time together. But we're so, we're so busy. We don't take that time to just unpack your head, sort through your thoughts, focus on what's really important, and really think about what is it you're 
What's your big picture so that you can align not only your thinking, but your behaviors and your actions to what you really want in life? Because a lot of times when I meet people, those wires are all crossed. We're Mm -hmm. living kind of based on our past out of fear and trying to avoid things instead of trying to build and create what we actually want. And so, you know, piggybacking on what you just said, because I think that's so important and people living in the past. And I think that one of the things that goes into people's quality of life is their upbringing, their childhood. If they've had traumas in their life, sometimes when people are stuck, right, a lot of times it's because of a trauma and they haven't learned how to or been able to process that trauma in a way that helps it leave their body, you know. And so that's also one of the things that, you know, I work a lot with clients on is how do they get unstuck by processing those traumas so that, you know, they can move forward, right? Yes. Yes. hundred percent. When I first started um, doing this work, I realized that people, they would say they wanted to change a job or change a relationship or move to a new city. And I started to sense that there was something else that was actually that they wanted to change. And it wasn't any of those things. And I would ask them, can we just suspend that for a little bit of time? Because I want to, I'm curious about something. And what I discovered was that people were really wanting to escape. What you're talking about is this old, outdated framework of thinking and the way they saw themselves, the way they see the world around them, and they felt trapped by that. And so we think that if we change a job or change a relationship or a move, we can eliminate that, which we do for a little while. You feel better in a new environment or a new city or a new job, but then those same old feelings come back because you haven't actually addressed the common denominator, which is you. (laughs) (laughs) I hear that all the time. The good news is that what you're teaching is even trickling now into the medical field. So now, not necessarily Western medicine, but naturopaths at least are saying, journal, have you had trauma? What is happening to your body can also play a part in your brain. And it's the same thing with dementia. I mean, it's a, a, here's the reasons, here's what their studies are showing it's the same. So and so trauma specifically is stored in our bodies. And what happens when we have a trauma, it, you know, our brain, you know, when we go to sleep, when we go into REM, our brain sorts, right? And when there's a trauma, there's a glitch. And this trauma is not sorted. It's stored in our mm-hmm. bodies. And so there's therapies that have been proven, EMDR is a, is a big one. It's very common. It's It's been studied over many, many years. And it's one that helps people, it helps our brain sort the trauma. So you're doing something, you know, with your eye movement, with right and left brain that helps basically sort sort the trauma in a box in our brain so that we, we it's not that we're not going to think of the trauma, it's that we're not going to experience it in our bodies anymore. And so a lot of times caregivers, care partners, when they're caring for somebody, you know, they have had a, maybe a childhood trauma that now they're caring for somebody and they're triggered and they don't know why. Mm -hmm. And so I help them figure out what that trigger is. We work through it, and they understand it. I refer them to EMDR therapist if needed. And, you know, it's it's amazing. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. It's really cool. All right, shifting gears a little bit back to entrepreneurship. Did we talk about entrepreneurship? (laughs) (laughs) Thomas, what are you seeing uh, currently? You know, we all had to recreate ourselves in COVID, or a lot of us did, had to recreate ourselves in COVID. What are you seeing now creativity-wise for entrepreneurs? What are they up to? What, What are some cool examples of 
of local businesses that are being, you know, creative with their up to? Yeah. Interesting question because each industry is a little different, right? Employers across the board have had to be creative with how they create environments for employees to be happy, right? And to want to work where they work. Speaking of mindset, creating environments where your employees' mindsets are positive, I think has been the top of the list. So one of the hard things with that, though, is how do entrepreneurs compete when their budgets are a lot smaller, when their resources are a lot lower, and when they have to be more nimble? So we've seen... I think just across the board, a shift in what the the low end of the bar is as far as what you have to do as a business in order to create those good environments. Um, it started with um, the bonuses that we all saw. <laughs> what was it? Maybe a year, a year and a half ago, if you went to apply for a job, every single one was providing a bonus mm-hmm. if you stayed for 90 days. Mm-hmm. And like that was... It was like the new bar and <clears throat> I would talk to businesses and they would be like, I can't, I can't find anybody to work for me right now. I'm even given a $500 bonus. And I was just like, dude, <laughs> like everybody is, <laughs> we've got to get more creative <laughs> with how you're trying to find people right now. So I was just like, provide a lot of examples all the time when we're working with businesses on ways they can think more creatively. And one of the unique industries we, we help out is, is automotive. And in the automotive industry, you see a lot of turnover Um, But we had a really successful company um, who was able to retain their staff for a really long time. And I love the examples of what they did because they didn't change how they retained their staff through the Great Recession, through the pandemic. It was just they kept this consistent way of keeping people happy. And what they did is they thought through how their employees and their customers were having a good experience when they came to work and when they came to their shop. And they just started with the basics. Are their bathrooms clean? Who's ever been to an auto shop and had to go and not want to use the restroom, right? <laughs> and so they made it like this really, really good environment. Like, what does your break room look like, right? Just these very simple things. If the necessities that your team needs <clears throat> when they come to work are not good, then they're probably over time going to have a worse and worse experience. And think of those things that are triggering as far as not being happy in their work environment. And so um, they just looked at all of the components of the makeup of their industry and said, how can we differentiate ourselves compared to all the other businesses that are out there? So they were able to have loyal customers, drive high retention rates for their staff, and be able to just continue kind of weathering the many storms that always come because as businesses and entrepreneurs, you're always going to have to adapt to changes in your environment and the economy and et cetera, et cetera. And so if they could maintain that normalcy and that consistency, it was really good for them. So so funny because you think of all, oh my gosh, we have to think outside the box. Oh my gosh, we have to change, do something completely different. <laughs> we got to make sure our bathrooms are clean. <laughs> we have to have a good culture. We have to treat everybody with respect. You're like, oh, this is not hard, people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is just, but you want to go to a place that you feel comfortable, that you feel like it's your second home, that you have friends there. You know, it's the same thing with co-working spaces like we're in with Max 6 is, you know, how does the environment feel? Are people friendly? Is everybody, you know, nice to each other? What are they doing consciously as mm-hmm. a business? You know, it it seems so silly, but it's so easy, you know, sure. to be able to do. 
Well, and it's kind of like, I mean, I love that they started with the simple things because how you do the little things is how you do everything, right? And so I think it's such a great way to start to kind of clean things up. Like I know even just going into Starbucks or wherever it is and the tables aren't wiped or those things make a huge difference. A huge difference. They do. The bathroom. And if you start getting sloppy with those things in your business, it, that can ripple to much larger things. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Tell us about entrepreneurial journey, some things that you've seen or you've done creatively, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. I, I actually wanted to just say something to what you said, which is I've seen a lot of clients who are now still working from home. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, I mean, talk about mindset and you're sitting at your computer all day long. Like that's been really important. And I, I'm curious, the companies have had to address that too, because a lot of people still have never gone back to the normal work environment, which I think is interesting. So I do a lot of work around helping people start to advocate for their own well-being because they somehow think they're like glued to that desk and that computer all day, right? Oh, and so it's been really important to like learn new habits to make sure you're taking care of your physical health, your mental health, all of that. Creative things in my business, um, there's always something creative. Creativity is kind of like the air I breathe. Like <laughs> I can't live without creating something. And I, I think one of the things I've had to learn is how to, instead of creating broadly, really create um, more deeply so that I'm not trying to do 100 things and doing more like five to 10 things really well. That's been um, a challenge for me. But I'm always looking at how can I adjust the programs my clients are going through to really elevate or amplify their experience or deepen their experience. Um, so I'm always looking at from calls to the worksheets in my online platform, how I can communicate with people, my podcast. That's a huge creative outlet for me is the podcast. So it is. It's a big deal, isn't it? To be able to, I, I just said the other day, I think Daryl's one who told me, our, our producer, you, you've interviewed 147 people or something. I said, what a mm. cool thing. You think you're starting a podcast. I thought, I just want to get all these people who to know each other. I want everybody to do business with each other, right? And I'll, I'll highlight my clients and I'll do these things. The cool thing I've learned out of all of it is you learn how many stories, how many lessons along the way. I've had a 147 people mm. tell me their lessons and their tips and their stories. You can't get a better hour of, you know, tips and lessons and stories and like, ooh, I want that. There's a nugget. I'll take that. Yep, I'll learn. I'll teach that. So that you know, it's a it's cool to have that creativity be something that then you get something back, right? It's not just a an outlet. It's like, wait, I get to learn all these things all well, the time. It's like multi-directional, right? Because yeah. you, I mean, it's, it's these mm -hmm. and then it's also the people listening are being impacted too. That's so really cool. So I love cool. it. Michelle, in your entrepreneurial journey, what are some create creative things you've uh, <laughs> encountered or trying to work on? Well, as you know, I'm I'm new at this. So I'm brand new pretty much. <laughs> so I just started doing this full time in July, but I started mm. it um couple years ago, hiring you. <laughs> <laughs> she did not get paid to say that either. <laughs> <laughs> you have helped me tremendously in focusing because that's not what I know how to do. I know I'm creative. I know, you know, I have ideas for things. I know what I want to do. I just don't know 
how to do them or where to focus my energy because I have finite energy. I have, you know, a family that I also take, you know, very good care of. And so where do I put that energy? And, you know, and I'm still learning. I mean, I have so much to learn. Now I have to work on a really good website. I know, you know, Mm -hmm. that's sort of where I'm at in my process. I'm just starting. I'm a baby. So (laughs) (laughs) exciting though. But then that means everything's creative. Everything, right? Right. So then your energy has to be, okay, I'm going to, I can only do this for so many hours a day. Right. The creativity, because it's all creative when you're building a, a brand new business. Right. It's the whole thing. <laughs> and the list never goes away. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> that, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, tell We're switching gears a little bit again. Future. What does the future of Arizona look like or the economy, um, according to Local First? I think that we'd have to look at our biggest societal challenges in order to determine where... Arizona's future is going to to take us. Um, I think there's a role that we all play in shaping that future, but we've we've got to address the the biggest you know gorillas or elephants in the room, if you will. Um, number one being our resources and water. Uh, we we can't grow and live here if we're not paying attention and figuring out how we're going to sustain ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that we all have to pay attention to and we all have to decide what role we're responsible for <clears throat> as residents, as business owners, as just constituents and stewards of this community. We can't stand on the sidelines and have other people make the decisions for us, whether those are the right or the wrong ones. We all have a role to play in that. As we continue to see the the wealth gap grow, um, I think it's important as business leaders to recognize um, what we can do to support other entrepreneurs or other people in the community that don't have the resources we might have. Um, how can we extend ourselves? How can we share our knowledge? How can we provide support to other people in ways that will help them grow wealth for themselves too? And I think... As we look at the landscape of just business in general, a lot of these issues that continue to be really prevalent as far as staffing and opportunities for locally owned businesses to thrive, um, we need to address those head on too. I was talking to somebody the other day about how um, I know that every, every local business that I know would love to raise the wages of every employee that they have. But it's much harder for them to do that than a very large company that has lots of resources and lots of money. And so while we can advocate for for policies that are forward-thinking and progressive and all of those things, and that's really important, we also have to understand that there's a major difference in the world of business that we're facing right now. And so on one end, we see consumers that are on the side of convenience, wanting things fast, wanting things now, wanting to order everything on their phone and pick it up and not deal with someone, right? A continued economy of transactions. But on the other end, you have a very large market of people that are focused on experience and knowledge and relationships. Mm. And there's a big gap in between of a market of people that could really go either way, in our opinion. And so those that are in this large bucket of relationships and meaningful experiences, I think we have a real opportunity to show that that is 
that is human nature, right? And we're not going to survive or sustain our state in a world of transactions. Actually, that depletes our wealth, that that minimizes our, yeah, right? Like, uh, just keep going back to the mental state. The less people you interact with, the, <laughs> the worse True. off you're going to be, right? Uh, we, we're now in this state of isolation in yeah. the workplace, right? Where people feel isolated, the, the, more, the less people that they're talking to and interacting with. So I think we have to lean in to what small businesses and locally owned businesses actually offer, which is experience, relationships, um, something you'll remember. And know that if we just spend all of our money with businesses that will never do business with us, that's always the thing that I talk to B2B businesses about all the time is one time we were giving a presentation and we were talking about how much wealth is actually extracted each time you spend your money at Amazon. The woman walked up to us afterwards and said, you know what? I'm so glad I came today because I'm an accountant and I never realized that and my and my husband's a firefighter, and I never realized mm. that Amazon's never going to hire me as an accountant. But I spend so much money there, and my tax money is not staying in my community, which actually would go to the fire department <laughs> that my husband works at, right? And so we get into this practice of the normalcy of how we spend our money without thinking of the longer term implications of it. Mm. And so I think we're we're in a moment where this middle ground of of individuals has an opportunity to decide which which end of the sphere you want to be on. Um, but I'm hopeful. I think we're really hopeful that um, there's a lot of opportunity there. I think it needs to be just continued to be talked about. I agree. I think, I, I, I mean, agree. I d- didn't even think about that, you know, how I'm taken away from my own community by ordering off of Amazon. It was a, you know, obviously during the pandemic, it's what kept most people going. But yeah. That's good to know. There's now, luckily, a little small business icon on Amazon if it's a small business. So if you have Mm. to buy something on Amazon, look for, when you're searching things, look for the small business Mm. icon. That's at least a little more helpful. Yeah. that's like secondary, obviously. Think about somebody you can hire locally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my entire team is local on purpose to make sure that the money is staying here and going back to totally. here. You know, buying the stuff on, on local first, is, <clears throat> you know, the earrings I wear or whatever, yeah. right, is buying stuff here. It's that mental shift of yeah. where am I going to spend my yeah. money? Well, I think it's it about here. not feeling guilty, right? We're, we're not here to ever shame anybody. No, like, mm-hmm. right. People will come to me all the time and we're like, I went to Target last week. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just like, no, like that's not, I'm not trying to make you feel that way. Like it's totally fine. But hey, if you have to do that, where can you find a local product there? Right? Mm-hmm. Like what products in that store were actually sourced here? Did they support any farmers here? Are the products sourced here? Like what, mm-hmm. what more could you do? Like, and every time you spend your money, you have options, right? There's really, really great options. Like you can hire somebody locally here. They've got a store here. Like, you know, their kids and they went to school with yours, right? Like it can get super local, yeah. but you can't do that every time. Right. And so just like, that's why we're local first, not local always. It's what options mm-hmm. do you have? And how can you think about those options when you spend your money instead of just doing what becomes very normal to us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really cool. And as a local business, how, how do we be a part of what you're doing? 
I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> we started Local First, and I joined Local First to provide opportunity to every entrepreneur. So we've built a network of thousands of small businesses that join our organization, and we deploy resources. So we let them know about grant opportunities that come up. We we are the eyes and the ears. We like to think of resources, opportunities, networking opportunities that can bring you all together. So we've got a membership program, thousands of businesses across Arizona. So it's we're not just in Greater Phoenix. We've got staff in Tucson. We travel all throughout to every rural town, provide support and resources to all small businesses throughout the state. So you can join Local First, and then we plug you in. We send you opportunities, get you connected to other people that you might be interested in talking to or networking with. And just have our eyes and ears out for things that you're looking for. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it's a write-off. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a nonprofit. <laughs> All right, future. Awesome. Uh, tell us, Carla, about something that people can do now that will set them up, you know, for future, right, in their mindset, in the in the work you do. Yeah. So as you were talking, I was remembering a few years before COVID. Our, we have two boys. And... Um, they were pretty, I mean, like young grade school age. And we. I remember hearing somebody say like the most important skill that you could be teaching your children at that time was e- mental resiliency and emotional resiliency. And after COVID happened, I remember thinking back to that and just going, wow, was that ever true? And that's something we've been really focused on at home with our boys, like always. And now they're 18 and 20, and I'm really seeing that they have that mental strength. And so I think that's still true today, that emotional mental resiliency is a huge tool for all of us. And I think anything you can do around mental fitness and really learning to leverage your mind to lead your life. And there's so many different ways that you can do that, Um, you know, through working with me or other coaches, or there's different programs. There's so many resources around that. Writing is an incredible tool just to get away (laughs) from a therapist. Yeah, for sure. But just learn to understand your mind better. And instead of it running you, you learn to really leverage it to be a tool in leading your life and um, can really be such a huge game changer. And so tell us a little, tell us two, two ways to do that. Two ways that you tell people, okay, it, you know, our mind is, is the best tool we have, right? But, but people don't know what that means, right? People don't know what mental, we know what physical well-being is. Yeah. Nobody knows what mental well-being is or that mental, to get yourself ready for mental resiliency. Is there two things that you can say? Obviously, journaling is a journaling huge Journaling, for sure. Just to unpack some of your thinking, there's so much that happens up here on any given day. So just taking a sheet of paper um, at the end of the day to just unload some of what's circling in your head is so incredibly helpful and so healing just to make some space in your mind for new thoughts. Because a lot of times we're circling the same old thoughts that tend to create the same old circumstances and the same old feelings. And so just making space for new. So that would be one. The second would be, as humans, we are storytelling machines. And what I mean by that is anytime something happens, you know, your boss says he wants to have a meeting with you. I've seen this happen with clients. Like your, your boss says, hey, we need to set up a time to meet. So those are the facts. He just asked you that we need to set up some time to meet. But in your mind, you quickly fabricate a story around that. (laughs) And for most people, it may be something like, 
oh no, what's wrong? I've done something wrong. Something happened. I'm getting fired. Like we tend to go to the negative versus the positive. That thinking in our head causes us to then like get nervous and paranoid and anxious and alters our behaviors. And then we go into that meeting already thinking something bad is going to happen and nothing's even happened yet. (laughs) And there's a, there's a quote, um, I think by Mark Twain that says, I lived a long and arduous life and 90% of it never happened. (laughs) That's the mental stuff that I'm talking about that we can learn to take better care of. And so in that particular example, just separating the fact from the story that you're adding or telling yourself and then zooming in on the facts like, oh, he's just asked for a meeting. Maybe this is a good thing. (laughs) We don't know. But assume positive intent until you know otherwise and just prepare yourself for that meeting. So that can be another super helpful tool. Innocent until proven guilty. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Positive until you hear otherwise. (laughs) And I love the the journaling at night to unpack it so you don't go to bed. And then that's where your subconscious goes. And then you're, then it's all, you know, negative. Stress dreams. As opposed to at least getting it all out. And then in the morning, what, you know, what are you thankful for? is my practice like every single day what am I thankful for tell me the things I'm thankful for and even COVID during COVID it was like what's the silver lining what's the silver lining first it was like once a month I would do that and then I was once a week and then every day I was like what's the silver lining today I have to consistently think of that positive so there's not room for much negative of course there's going to be little bits of it but yeah it's a but journaling is a huge deal in the morning and and at night for yes. people, I think. So gratitude or even setting an intention for your day or like what's the one thing that at the end of the day I'd feel great about? And I think for high-achieving people, you too also need to add some other things to your to-do list that are taking care of, that include relaxation or fun or adventure or instead of just work, 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 work. That's because right. it all, I've had to learn this myself, but it that taking time away to let your brain rest go on a hike, whatever it is, it all fuels everything else. It fuels your business. It fuels your work. And I I had to learn that. I don't think most entrepreneurs, uh, small, especially small businesses, think that there is a chance that they can go away. That they, nope, I don't have time for self-care. I don't have time to go on (laughs) vacation. I don't have time because I'm the only one that can do those things. I'm sure you guys hear this all the time. I'm constantly reminding people, outsource, 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 so that you can do the things. Just do the things you love. (laughs) Outsource everything else, I keep saying. But because... If you, you know, it's like putting on the mask in the, in the airplane first, right? It's the same thing. If you don't take a vacation, if you don't have a, a reset button, if you don't have the self-care, it's not going to last long. Small businesses will, will go under so much faster yeah. if, if they don't have those tools in place. For yeah. sure. I'm sure you guys, you guys have good reminders though and good resources for people. You guys are always pushing the outsourcing and and getting help and and all of that. Absolutely. And often the time is like the, you know, I've done some work around time because that is like the number one excuse people have for not living a life that's more fulfilling. And I think you also have to address your thinking um, because just whatever you're telling yourself about time becomes your self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I used to tell myself, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. 
you have time. You're just, it's really a choice issue more than a time issue. And I think just even starting to pay attention to some of that thinking that's derailing you because it's a lie. And it's really about how you, how, how the choices you're making. Yes, delegating. And one of my favorite places to work with people is finding all the places that we're wasting time and energy that don't, it's not about the work inside of your business. It's about where maybe you're, you feel like you have to please everybody. So you take on more things than you need to. It's those places where you can harness enormous amounts of time and energy. That's for sure. Michelle, what about you future? What what are you excited about in the future? Well, you know, I'm just sort of taking it one day at a time. <laughs> good. That's good. It's a best way to be as a new business. I can't think too far ahead in the future. I just think that brings a lot about a lot of anxiety for me. So my goals, you know, one day, what I would love to be able to have is a center, a counseling center, mm-hmm. therapy center focused, providing counseling education support for care partners of people living with dementia. It's just that individual attention. You know, there are many wonderful support groups out there and they work for so many people and sometimes they don't work. And so they people need that extra, you know, extra safe space where they can debrief and encouragement, you know, along the lines of sort of, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking about like some of the things that, you know, I do in my practice and um, with, with my clients. And the, the connection to other people, I would have to say, is one of the biggest, you know, things that people can get so isolated in this role. And it really is a 24-7 job. And it is not the norm that we all experience. It's very intense. It's, you know, they always have to be on. They're always worrying. They don't get a break. I encourage them you know, I'm sort of that little voice in their ear encouraging them to do the things, to take the break, to to try to get some respite, to take time for themselves in the morning to do some mindfulness, to go for the walk, to, you know, um, journaling their thoughts. You know, they have so many things going on. And so my goal is just to have, like I said, more people doing this work to help others who are who are in need. It's such a huge, huge need. We're going to get there. We're going to get you there. I know. We need to get there. We're going to get you there. School social work. They need to come up with the uh, ASU. Let's come up with a class, you know, where, you know, you learn how counseling techniques and how to, you know, what dementia is in the process of supporting caregivers. And one little thing you said the other day to me that I had never even thought of is that people like you, you provide these tips and these, these, you know, how to help not not make it worse, right, right for the people living right. with dementia and for yourself. Right. But I loved what you said the other day. You said people that living with dementia feel everything, even if they can't, remember, they can't say back to you. So if you escalate your voice, then they get, I'm not saying it exactly how you said it, but then they get harmed. They think you're harming them because you're yelling or you're getting escalated, you know, it's a, it's a, you have to talk like this, like you're talking to a little right? kid. Right, because they can understand the language sometimes mm-hmm. and they just read your facial expressions mm-hmm. and your body language. And that's sort of, you know, they're like a mirror. But it's really hard when you're tired, you're overwhelmed, you're in love with this person that is, doesn't remember who you are. Um, it's, it's, 
it's a lot. So so it's like a dog, right? The, yeah. Like, I'm not not this not I'm not comparing dogs <laughs> right, to people, right. but I'm saying like how dogs if we, we the, my kids tease like they'll yell, but they're saying something really nice to the dog. She doesn't know that. Right. She's frantic because you're yelling, yeah. or they'll say you're so annoying like that, you know. <laughs> but then it, she loves it because you're talking to her so nice, right? But it, it's, it's it's the approach. I mean, that's approach. sort of where we're un, what we're un, understanding more and more. However, that does feel like a lot of pressure, you know, for care partners and caregivers, like oh my gosh, I can cause this behavior to to occur. And so I do also want to leave space in the room for people to be human and be frustrated in this, you know, in that role that they never chose to be, right? It can be a little messy. <laughs> yes, it, yes. And um, it's, you know, it's very difficult. But um, uh, also, you know, what we know about behaviors is they are communication for people living with dementia. You know, like behaviors can, you know, Pain can drive behaviors. Um, urinary tract infections can drive behaviors. Underlying disease processes, you know, being overstimulated. It's like it's it's it. Like I said, it it is a very di- <laughs> in a different day. Every day is different. Every moment is different, and so it's very hard to predict. And you think you have something figured out, and it you know you try it again and it doesn't work. So it's you know it, it's it takes a lot. Time and energy, yeah, right. Can you believe we've been talking for almost an hour? Crazy. No. <laughs> that goes by so fast. No. Thomas, tell everybody how they can learn more about Local First, get a hold of you if they need to. We're on all social media, Local First AZ, uh, localfirstaz.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch. Thank you so much for being on and, and what you guys are doing in the community. Absolutely. It's a big deal. Thank you very much. All right. What about you? CarlaReeves.com and Carla S. Reeves on LinkedIn and the Differently podcast. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on. Michelle, what about you? Um, CognitiveCareAndCounseling.com, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> I don't know what that thing is, but... <laughs> That's okay. That, <laughs> Michelle, spell your last, Michelle, spell your last name for people for LinkedIn. It's uh, Zipser, Z as in Zebra, I, P as in Paul, S as Sam, E as in Edward, R, Zipser. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Thomas, you have an event coming up that we're really excited. I'm really excited to be at. You still have tickets left? We do have a few tickets left. Uh, Tuesday, April 4th, we'll be at the Mesa Convention Center for the Arizona Good Business Summit. 300 entrepreneurs coming together to build relationships and learn how to be better businesses in Arizona. So excited. It was a fantastic event last year at Tempe Center for the Arts. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got the behind the scenes view. You did. You did. Yeah, we're excited to go to Mesa this year. It's really cool. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored by KLM. Do what you love and outsource everything else. Until next time, happy connecting. Mm